Hi, my name is Christine Kamera. I'm from Denmark, and this episode is brought to you by Band Sugel. Did you know that Band Sugel offers all the features you need to build a professional website for your music? This all-in-one platform includes dozens of customizable templates, tools to sell your music, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. This is the perfect resource for independent artists to design a stunning website to grow their fan base. All MPW podcast listeners can also get 15% off their their first year subscription by going to www.bandsugel.com and entering the promo code MPW. Uh, what am I saying? This is MPW, 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 MPW the podcast with your host, Zylo Aria. Cool. A podcast about music, music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the MPW podcast. I'm your host, Zylo Aria, and today we are talking to the awesome Antonia Gauci. So Antonia is an engineer, a mixer, a producer, and an artist based in Sydney and currently working out of Golden Retriever Studios. Her credits include loads of amazing artists, including Kesha, What's So Not, DMAs, Ballast Alps, uh, Troy Sivan, and so many more. Really lovely to have you on the podcast, uh, Antonia. How is your day going so far? Thanks so much for having me. Um, today's pretty good, chill. I got to go to the gym this morning and it's my day to do all my washing and stuff. So it's good. It's nice. It's nice to chat to you as well. I will always love chatting with you. Yeah, so lovely to have you on the podcast and it's good to hear you're getting a bit of time for your life admin because <laughs> it sounds like you haven't had a day off for a very long time. So tell me what's been on your schedule? You've had a few different projects going on. Yeah, so lots of different things. Yesterday I was cutting some vocals for someone. The week before I was helping for like a songwriting camp with Apra Amcos and Natsumo, which was amazing. Uh, the week before that, I did an orchestral session at Trackdown. Um, I was in Tasmania doing some other things with APRA Songmakers, which is like the the program that they have, which is incredible. They go into high schools and it's like a songwriting workshop. It was really awesome. Um, mixing, lots so of cool. different things, <laughs> shows. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> You must be. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, uh, fair enough. So even more grateful to have you chatting with us today. And today we are going to talk about whether to template or not to template for mixing. So we will jump into that shortly. But before we do that, I'd love to hear a bit more about your journey into music and how did you end up doing all of the things that you're doing now and a lot of um, mixing work. So where did it all start for you? Well, I've always loved music. Um, I was thrown into piano lessons as a kid and all that kind of stuff that you do and continued through high school exams, etc. But when I finished, I kind of found this magazine, uh, which was showing like the Australian Institute of Music and audio engineering was a thing that you could actually do. And I'd done a little bit of recording in high school and I really enjoyed it. And so I just applied. And then I had two years later, I graduated and then found myself 
you know, just doing all the bits and pieces everywhere, kind of helping out whoever I can. And then eventually that led to an opportunity at a studio where I interned and then assisted. And then when that closed, I kind of had met a few people and they just offered me more work and then kind of just, you know, expanded from there until I was a full-time member of Studios 301. And kind of there I got to do literally everything that you could think like orchestras drums like learning to mix like kind of on the job and it was really great because in a place like that there were so many people around that you could like pick up tricks and tips from literally all the engineers in sydney slash the country if they they all like international people would come in and yeah just from there just keep doing the thing i suppose (laughs) That's it, that's the very 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 short version. I don't like talking I about myself. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like from that you've just you know very easily gone from one thing to another, which I'm sure is not exactly how it worked out. No, it was um, a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so getting into you know your foot in the door after you had done your um, studies. Yeah. What did that involve? Did you? have to just kind of knock on a bunch of doors or how did you slowly start making your way into the industry? I guess, yeah, I mean, trying to remember, I think I put together some kind of resume or reel and contacted like a lot of the studios that I could find like an email address for at the time. Not all of them, you know, got get back to you, which is, you know, you just have to accept it and keep going. But a teacher from the university actually recommended me to someone and then I started to do a little bit uh, of stuff at like an advertising agency and then it's kind of I was also starting to get involved in the community at FBI radio just doing podcasts and or yeah like little segments to then go on air and then you kind of just meet more people and someone you know you do a really good job or you get along with someone really well and they just recommend you to other people who were like looking for people to work on stuff that's it's it was all really word of mouth until eventually uh, someone who I studied with a friend of mine she was doing some reception work at at this studio called Big Jesus Burger and she contacted me and was like we're looking for interns would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, I contacted them, but they didn't respond. Mm. And then I finally, you know, got in because, you know, you knew somebody and then from there everything kind of kicked off. But I think that was, I'm trying to think, years, it, it was probably like three, that whole process was like three years. I was still working uh, in a shop, you know, casually yeah. at the time and not everything I was doing was paid, but it was just... And, you know, kept kept doing the things and also telling people where I wanted to end up so that eventually some, you know, just it's in the back of people's minds, so, you know, your name yeah, pops up yeah. in a conversation and that kind of thing. Yeah. That's great actually. And I think it's important to talk about that journey as well because a lot of people uh, in the MPW community, it, it's a question that comes up of like, how mm. how do I get in? Like, what's the way into the door and that kind of thing? And it's important to highlight that it's different for everyone and there isn't really a single path. And 
the most important thing is to just keep yeah, putting keep your name out there and, and kind of um, doing as much as you can to look for opportunities rather than waiting for them to come to you. Yeah, I think also it's it's really hard now. Like people ask, how, how, how? And I'm like, um, I don't know because the, <laughs> the amount of studios that were around when I started, there were plenty, but the industry's changed now. People are making music on their laptop, which is incredible. But, you know, large, there aren't as many large studios or places to kind of have that opportunity so it's it's tricky it's really tricky I mean those opportunities still do exist but there's more people you know trying to get their foot in the door like looking for the same opportunity it's hard when and especially over here in Australia we're such a smaller smaller industry too so it's it's really tricky so you kind of need to make your own opportunity where I kind of at an entry level, but also, you know, me today, I still need to create my own opportunities. Mm, yeah, mm, for sure. For sure. Thank you for, <laughs> for sharing that as well, because yeah, it's good to hear about where the industry is at the moment compared to where it was as well. Yeah. Okay. So then looking at our topic a little bit today of mixing templates. So for someone who's never used a mixing template before or doesn't really know what things they can include, could you give us a little bit of background, like what kind of things might you actually add to a mixing template project? Yeah, so I Whether I you mean, use them or not. <laughs> yeah, so for a long time I was like, no, why would I use one? And then I had a lot of conversations with a bunch of different people about them and then my workflow actually changed so before I was completely in the box and then now I have a little bit of like outboard processing and so the, the main reason I set up a template was so that I when I opened up a mix session it was all going to the right place out and coming back in so that's the main thing for me and then and then I kind of settled on some things that I left on my master bus at the same you know, settings, same plugin, same settings. I'd kind of just realized that I'd, you know, kept gravitating back to those same things and wasn't really altering them. So I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I should leave them on the, the master bus in the template. And then I, I found that there were a couple of things that I kept reaching for. So like the same vocal uh, reverb or the same delay or something like that. So then I set up auxiliaries with them on there and then also like bus six I always seem to make the kick key so mine is it's kind of like maybe there's 10 things in there I keep it kind of light because you could like some people I know they go really like in depth with their templates but for me I, I know I'm going to be reaching for these things so I've kind of like set them up but every song is different so you, you, you know, you, I kind of like to leave it a bit open-ended so that I have a bit of, like, I, I feel like I'm a creative mixer. I kind of don't think about things technically. I mean, I do, but not a lot. So I, I've left mine quite open-ended so I can have a lot of freedom, but I still have stuff I know that I'm going to use there not okay. not everything's on a setting or whatever but it's just open ready for me to like 
assign something to it if I need to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so if we just break that down a yeah. little bit. So you talked about um, effects, I guess, like you, yeah. you mentioned reverb and delay. So you just have that as an, an auxiliary or like a send available for you to send to your different tracks. Yeah. And then you mentioned master bus uh, a few things on there. Would you just have that before you start the mix yeah. at all? Yeah. So they're kind of there always like so I've I've set up like a template in Pro Tools which is when you see you save a template it kind of just like makes that little thing PTX file and then I just double click it and it opens and then it says like name it what you want um, it's got all my settings, like 24-bit, 48K is what I like to work at. Um, then it's got whatever the I.O. setup is for my studio. And then I just kind of decide where I want it to live on my drive. And then, yeah, it opens up and it's like, here are all the things that you've decided. Yeah, and on my master bus, I have like a limiter at a certain setting and some some VU meters and like a spectrum analyzer. So they're always there so and they pop up straight away in like the spot that I like to see them on my yep. computer screen that kind of stuff so in your uh master bus and I guess for anyone that might not know what we're talking about that's where all of your tracks are going through at the the end yeah. of the mix I guess so you mentioned you would have a limiter and a really intense compression for anyone that might not have used a limiter, but also a VU meter. Can you talk to me a little bit about the VU meter and how do you use that in your mix process? Yeah, so I use it to make sure that everything's kind of moving nicely. So that and then like the VU is kind of moving with the music is kind of how it was kind of explained to me when I first started out. Yeah, it's a visual thing. I know now where to like place my kick on the VU meter so that um, it can set up the rest of the mix around it. That's kind of the place that I always usually start is like the kick, kick bass and vocals. So if I kind of get that in the right spot, then I know that it's not too loud for later and then I can kind of piece everything around it. But yeah, I, you can kind of tell with VUs if something, if the meter's moving weird on one side, it's kind of makes it a bit obvious to be like, oh, maybe... I remember one thing I was mixing a long time ago. It kept moving really strangely and then it, it was moving in time with this guitar instead of like ba bouncing back and forward musically. And then, I, yeah, that just kind of was a really obvious visual cue for a problem and then it helped me sort out stuff. Is there a particular VU meter that you use and that you particularly like? Yeah, I use the, uh, I think it's the PSP triple meter and then I... I've got it set on the the red. There's like three, yeah, three different colors and it's the red one that I have. I can't remember what all the rest of the settings are, but I just use the default setting and I've kind of figured out where I, I need to have stuff placed in it so that, you know, when it's, when it's going out of the box through my other things and then back in that I've still got enough headroom. And the, like the L, I've got the Pro L2, at the very end of everything and that's actually after my meters I've got it set up that okay. way Your yeah limiter. it's it's like the spectrum analyzer then the meters then the l2 and I've kind of I move that over to the side just to see how much it's squishing but I always take that off when I'm sending it off to mastering that's like 
just for me to, to monitor what it would sound like mastered, you know. Okay. And how would you use the spectrum analyzer as well throughout your mix? I guess, yeah, it's just obvious if it's a visual cue to see if something is like too dark or you too bright or if there's like a buildup of frequencies in like 500 or that kind of thing, if there's enough sub, I'm kind of just like watching. I've kind of learned how it should visually look and that kind of like it, it relates to how my room is and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of was a real big trial and error process to figure out how that should end up looking and now I kind of just like obviously I'm using my ears but I'm looking at it as well to make sure that nothing is like spiking at a certain point kind of you know you want to make it as even as and clear as possible Mm. so just explaining that as well for anyone who hasn't used a spectrum analyzer did you want to give us an explanation it kind of just shows like it's a it's a like a I guess like a curve really, but it like moves in time with the music up and down. But it shows like 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. And yeah, it can, it, it's just a visual representation to show you what's happening at all like kind of frequencies, I guess. Mm-hmm. And would you want it to be fairly, uh, like are you aiming to get like it flat? fairly consistent? Yeah, like for everything or not? I mean, I I try and kind of get it to look similar, but sometimes, you know, depends on the recording too. There might not be heaps of top end and stuff. So you can boost top end in, but at a certain point, there is not going to be any more top end. So you might not reach it where you've reached it before or that kind of thing. I kind of have a mental image of what I'm aiming for um, when I'm using it. But, you know, sometimes I do make things too bright or too dull and I guess that's where, like, lovely mastering comes in to help you fix all the problems. Well, not prob- hopefully there's not too many problems, but, you know, just polish it up a little bit more. Bringing it back to the, the things that could be in the template, so you mentioned having a, a few uh, effects that you like to use available to you and also having the um, a few things on your master bus like your um, spectrum analyzer, your VU meter and the, the limiter as well. And was there something else that you mentioned as well? Oh, yeah, I think it was the I have a, like a kick key set up. So that's always just out a certain bus. I'm trying to think, what else do I have? What is that actually? So just for like side chaining um, Ah, stuff. Yeah. So just so I can send the kick signal out that I always know it's going to be bus six. I've labeled it kick key. And then I can like put, put that in on the key insert of like a compressor or whatever I'm trying to like side chain off it. I think I've also recently set up like I love a certain setting in one of the I think it's the wave c1 compressor that I use so that's kind of just always set up ready to go now as well so that kick uh track is that just like a blank track with the kick and it's um not on so that you don't hear the kick and you can just put in the cues to side chain? Sometimes I, it just depends if I want it to move with whatever the kick pattern is or sometimes I'll copy it down and put it like four to the floor 
Just a, it kind of depends on the song. Yeah. For that. Okay. What it's what like pat pattern it's gonna do, or if it's gonna need a, a shorter release or a, a longer release on it. But I kind of seem to leave like a pretty fast attack. I guess yeah. It's yeah. Just dance music vibes. Yeah. <laughs> everything just dance music yeah. vibes that's great <laughs> uh, no that's cool so there's not a whole lot there that you put onto your template are there other templates that you've seen engineers have that maybe you don't use and do you know what other things people do add to their template yeah I mean like some people have samples in there ready to go that they used to like replace kicks and snares and things like that or they might have like a trigger thing set up with those loaded in there yeah like or different vocal chains like a male male vocal chain versus a a female vocal chain the options are endless in a way it just depends on the workflow or if there's like maybe a signature thing that you do like ages ago I used to pitch things up and like send them to reverbs and I mean, you could set up something like that. So it's always kind of living. It's like if you have a signature thing that you do in your your mix, I don't do that as much anymore. So it's not in my my (laughs) template. Or yeah, like some people rewire stuff into Ableton. Like that could be a thing. I've I've seen that before. Like some people have same kind of along the lines of the trigger sample thing. Like they kind of have it rewired into Ableton with that stuff set up, ready to go. Just so you know. Okay, yeah. like a Pro Tool session rewired. Yeah, into yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen okay. that. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. There's so many things you could have ready to go. Or, yeah, some people also have seen like replace like sounds, like instrument sounds too. I've seen that before. So some people might have like Serum or Omnisphere or something like that set up. If like something tonally doesn't work in like a you know a synth part, and I've seen people like replace stems that way okay okay yeah that sounds really interesting actually I didn't think that people would have like standard sounds for like kicks and snares and things to replace and even things like a synth would that fall into the production realm a little bit and do you think artists are always happy with something like that I mean it it's it maybe is a conversation that needs to be had like beforehand or as it's happening I guess it like depends how much free reign you want to give to your mix engineer but like you know I'm seeing on people's credits they're like I mixed it and I did additional production too so it kind of it just depends but the like kick and snare sample thing I, I am seeing a lot and well I know just some producers like a lot of their like if you listen to their tracks they've kind of got the same kick and snare sound or sorry yeah mix engineers like they've got a thing going so yeah all their drums kind of sound similar okay yeah it's interesting to know that that is part of some people's workflow and then looking at what you think is appropriate to have in a template like why would you limit yourself to just those things that you mentioned and why have you maybe not taken on things like a vocal chain template or anything like that? I think it, just for me because everything's going to be different and I'm always like I'm I'm always trying new plugins and I'm always like 
buying new ones too. So I haven't settled on the one yet. So that's maybe why I haven't. <laughs> but but yeah, it's just like, you know, you could have someone who's recorded through like a really expensive vocal chain and then someone who's like done something at, at home on like a USB mic or maybe they've got they've got an SM7B into like a, just a focus right interface like you yeah it's kind of I just wait until I'm hearing I maybe like always reach for the same EQ to to like pull frequencies out but then from there it's like it always changes with stuff that I might be adding in or compressors or like double compressing or yeah so that's why I don't set that up because or I might you know I might also change my mind halfway through a mix and you know I'm, I haven't settled on the thing yet but yeah some okay. people like to put yeah. a limitation on themselves well not a limitation but like commit to the thing so okay yeah and do you think like have you seen genre specific templates for example no I think it's kind of just someone's approach to the process rather than oh, this is what I have for rock music. This is what I have for, like, electronic stuff. But I have seen... Okay. Although, like, going back to... There's, I've seen videos and stuff online. Like, do you follow that account? There's one with a puppet or something like that. Um, which is, yes. Yeah, that one. Where he's like, this is yeah. the vocal chain that you should use for how to do this. So sometimes I, like, steal those ideas. Oh, it's not steal. I borrow those <laughs> ideas for stuff, but yeah. not as far as putting it in the template and, like, committing to it. But okay, okay. maybe creatively, yeah. like, going back and, and reflecting and exploring opportunities, options. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's great that's great and then kind of coming to the concept of the right and the wrong way to to doing something so uh and it sounds like you're always experimenting and trying new things and and even learning new things off uh, off youtube and and kind of uh, things like that which is great to hear and would you say that when it comes to mixing there are right ways to do things and maybe wrong ways to do things because often we get questions of people, you know, freaking out if they they feel like maybe they're doing something in the wrong way. What would you have to say to that? I mean, that's tricky because I guess there there are wrong ways, but sometimes also the wrong way leads to like something really interesting too. So it's kind of and it's it's one of those weird things where it's just like you kind of got to use your ears. A little bit, but also sometimes it's really nice to have something that is like uh, what I don't want to say the F word, but like something that's not conventional. Yeah, conventional. But then like everything else around it is is more like perfect, you know, and that creates like contrast and things like that. I guess the thing that you don't want to do is like you don't want to have stuff clipping like distorted, distorted. You don't want to like run your mix too hot like you need to leave a a little bit of headroom but yeah I guess it's just like if everything you know you can harmonic distortion is really cool and adding you know files and and stuff effects like that distortion on things is it creates interest and it's it's they're really cool I use a lot of those kind of things but if everything's like clipping and stuff that's probably like something you don't want to (laughs) do You can read things online and watch videos and read things in books of like 
this is the way you should do it and or yeah I know some people mix only on like presets inside of plugins like I've my some of my friends do that they brag about like I mix this with ozone all the presets I'm like I mean it sounds sick like good job but it just depends on what you're working on what you're trying to achieve Mixing is so open-ended and subjective too. You know, 10 people could mix the same song and you would end up with a different result with, you know, and still give them the same stems and the same plugins. Like people are going to pan stuff differently. Yeah, follow the rules, but also don't follow the rules. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I kind of push and pull between both of those ideas. I feel like the, the more I've learned, the more safer or clinical you get with things too. Sometimes it's nice to just like not think about it a little bit. You kind of end up with something that maybe is a bit more interesting. When I turn up to work and I have something to do and I go and get a coffee and I talk to my friend and come and do a little bit of work, then do the same, like procrastinate. I find that sometimes I get a better result and instead of like sitting there for eight hours and like slogging out all the imperfections and like there's, you know, there's, yeah, yeah. So, and you can end up with really interesting results or really boring, you know, flat results or uninspiring results. Yeah. No, I feel like what we're getting is pretty much do do what feels right to you. Yeah, because, I mean, like another another thing is also after a while you kind of end up developing your sound and that's what people will come to you for. So whether it's like completely following the rules or flying by the seat of your pants or falling somewhere along that spectrum of things, just so but no I distorting. Guess- Okay. Yep. No, no clipping and, uh, and intense distorting in your recordings. Okay. We'll keep that in mind. And, um, I guess a lot of this comes from decisions that you make relying on your ears. Did you do anything to develop, you know, your ears and, and working out what, what sounds good? I think it was just honestly, just like getting in there and like mixing, playing around with, with EQs. There was a time where I was kind of moving around between a bunch of different studios too. But when I, I have like a space that I've worked consistently out of for the last five years, I think like that also really helped to when I, when, you know, hearing things back in other places, it kind of made obvious what I needed to do a little bit and like, and then helped me to develop what like and understand what I was hearing a bit better and, and then you know kind of that process just it kind of is cyclical a little bit I'm always developing my ears and some days I can't hear I feel like I can't hear anything because you know you, you've just been working you know long hours and maybe a too loud a volume so mm. yeah I, it's, mm. yeah I guess but just doing doing and listening and also just listening to other people's mixes or like just listening to records and things that I like and using them for reference on what I was working on as well. Kind of all those, all those things helped develop my ears and talking to other people about what I was working on too and asking for their advice on, on a, you know, say something I've in the mix is really problematic and I'm stumped on what to do, you know, just talking to someone else about it can help solve the problem and make you hear and see things differently and, you know, just building upon all of that. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Coming back to your career a little bit, what would you say has been the biggest career highlight for you so far? I think uh, it was definitely working on that Kesha song. That was probably the highlight, um, I would say. It helped my parents understand what I did for a job. (laughs) Um, And like, yeah, that was really cool. I think also, I always forget about this, but I worked on, you know, that show, The Voice. I worked on like the first two seasons of that with this uh, producer Eric J, who's a really incredible engineer and mix engineer and all that stuff. But like that was the first like real job that I worked on. So that uh, gave me like it, it introduced me to a lot of people in the in- industry and yeah, it just like helped me move forward, you know, having that under my belt. Um, but career highlight, I think probably the 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 Kesha thing, which was, I, I got my first plaque for, for that, which was, it was really nice to, to achieve oh, something amazing. like that. And which that. song was it exactly? Uh, praying. So I, I recorded okay. some bits and pieces uh, with Ryan Lewis and Ben Abraham when they were in Sydney, um, they were writing the song. So that was really cool. I got to see it from the very yeah. beginning and um, then, and, and seeing it eventually being cut by her was yeah it was cool yeah yeah that's awesome then coming back to what do you think has been the greatest challenge for you so far and how did you overcome it I think the the greatest challenge it's also like a blessing in disguise but like being freelance is really great because you can look after your own timetable and and that kind of thing but at the same time, it's difficult because there's always there's not always a steady income coming in. So it's something that I'm always learning to navigate on how to make it work. But it's just, yeah, you really learn how much it like ebbs and flows. And especially over the last couple of years that we've had, it's been really interesting to navigate that kind of process. Yeah, well, uh, around, I guess, being a freelance person in music, it's always a challenge to kind of be hustling all the time and there's no one kind of doing that for you. So I get that that's maybe not something that you know that, okay, that's done now and I'm on top of it and it's always something that has to be worked on. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I understand how that that can be a challenge. But um that's great. I think I think you did answer that there. So that, that's all good. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And um, yeah. And coming to our audience question. So we had a question from Forty Four Ardent, and they asked, "How loud do you send your mix for mastering?" And at the moment, they seem to uh, send it um, quite loud, but others prefer sort of minus six to minus three dB. Is there a number that you're aiming for when you're sending off? I would always kind of aim for like minus three. That's kind of what I was taught back in like school. But talking to other people, it's kind of, it's one of those tricky questions. Like some, it depends who you're sending it to as well. Like some people like more headroom, but someone was saying like, well, they can, if it's not clipping, they can just turn it down and then there's more headroom. 
So it's, I try and aim for, yeah, minus three, but sometimes I do forget to check and I send it across. But also another thing is I, sometimes I send a couple of options as well to the mastering engineer and I'm like, pick what you think would be better to work with. And I always send the reference of like my limited version to so that they can have an understanding of what, what everyone signed off on. And yeah, but cause, cause now I use an outboard compressor on my mix bus. Yeah. And the whole gain structuring thing, I've kind of figured out if I, if I do all the bits right, it, it ends up with like this much headroom. But yeah, then I, I always pull it down going through that whole change chain, which might you know, change the sound a little bit, but it does give more headroom for the mastering engineer. I think it's it is important to give some minus maybe let's aim for minus three. I don't know. It's everyone's gonna have their own thing, you know. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say, um, you know, to check with the mastering engineer because yeah. they yeah, it's best to give it to them how they would like it. So maybe Minus three-ish and check with you. Yeah, <laughs> to be safe, <laughs> to make sure there's no like, yeah. Uh, yeah, no one tells you off or anything like that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but no, thank you so much for your time, uh, Antonia. And it's been great to hear your thoughts on um, on just templates, but also general workflow really and what works um, for you and what you've seen um, work for other people as well. So is it a more of a kind of admin-ish day for you or are there other things that you've got going on? Uh, yeah, I have to print a lot of stems for people. So I'm going okay. to be sitting hunched over at my dining table, just like exporting everything. So that's, that's what I'm okay. doing today. <laughs> <laughs> Fun, fun times. Okay, cool. Well, I will let you get back to that and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and have a lovely day as well. Pleasure. Bye.